The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. On the lineup, he pitches. Adamas launches one way up into the air in the left field. This one's got a chance. Turning Benintendi, Willie Adamas. With his first big league hit, it's a home run against Chris Sale. Here's your host. Neil Solons. Good morning and welcome to our latest show. Today we'll chat with Avisail Garcia on why the Rays have been the perfect place for him. Arrestes Destrada will join us from Cleveland to discuss the week on by. We'll chat with Jake Cronenworth about becoming a two-way player again. Andrew Friedman reminisces about his time with the Rays. And Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com and MLB Network will join us to discuss the AL Central. We continue on this week in Rays baseball and our guest is Avi Garcia this week. And Avi... First of all, how much have you enjoyed Tampa Bay so far? I mean, it's been great, you know. It's been great. Um, I think the guys and the coaching staff and the trainers make, you know, everything easy for me. And it's been great, you know. My family love it. I love it. So I'm just happy to be here. What do you like the most about being here? What's the most important part about this? I mean, being in the stadium with the guys, you know, uh, we have a special group and, you know, I would like to have the opportunity to come to the stadium and, you know, you have the chance to win every every single game. It's special, you know, because we have a, competi- a competitive group and and I, and I like that. And I like that. I like the group. I like I like the coaches. I like the trainers. So I think I think everything I think where, where I live, I think I think everything is, is been is been great. What has been your best moment for you uh, in here? Uh, I think in Miami. <laughs> In Miami, uh, first game there against, you know, uh, it was all my family there, you know, and I think it was great because I I been through a lot in the off season, you know, knee surgery, uh, um, tough moment. So you know, special to to hit a home, you know, in front of my family, in front of my friends, and I think it was great. How many family? How many friends were there? I mean, like 16 people. Yeah, so it was it was special. I told I told the guy it was special because of that, you know, tough moment, uh, surgery, you know, and now I had the chance to play in front of all of my all of my friends. So it was special. Who uh, in your family is now in Miami with you? I know your your wife and your kids. Who else? No, I think that's it. Just, and everyone else friends? No, my friend they live here. I mean, yeah, I got a, I got a lot of friends, you know. <laughs> His family, her family, live in Miami too. So, um, always family. You have a son, Avi, too. Do you someday want him to play baseball? Are you hoping? <laughs> uh, let's see what happens. You know, it's not. It's not for me. Yes, but let's see. Let's let's see what happens. Uh, maybe he likes soccer or football or I don't know. So let's see what happens. <laughs> when? How old were you when you first started playing baseball? Do you remember? And or when you and when you really liked it? Oh yeah, when I was ten years old, long time ago. Wow, well, like, oof, little kid. Yeah. One of my 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 neighbor told my mom if he want to play, and I say yes, okay. 
and then now I'm playing the big league. So it's crazy. Uh, a lot of, a lot. Of, I got a lot of history though. When did you think you could be a professional? How old? Uh, when I was six, 16? Fi- no, 15. Yeah. One scout from the Yankees organization went to where I live to see, to watch a game, to watch, uh, not me, other other person. And he liked me, like, you know, he started talking to my mom. He's, he he saw something that, that professional baseball do and uh, got his attention. And he t- started talking to my mom. And then that's how everything started. He 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 gave me a ride to my house uh, with my mom, and he started talking to me. And it was special. He talked to me because he knows somebody that have a like an academy. So uh, I went there, and then I signed a contract with them. You know, to have more people see me, like you know, practicing all the stuff. And they tried to sign me. It was it was it was great. What do you remember about when you signed the day? How special was that? I mean, it was great, you know. I never never thought about it because it's, it's, it's a dream, you know. Dreams are, you know. So I just, it was a dreamer, like, you know, I want to be a professional. Um, I want to be, you know, like, I want to I wanna, I wanna do something for this game, like play, play, play baseball, like, in the big league. Because where I came, where I came from, no scout when, when, I, when, I, when I lived there. Now it's easy, a little bit more easy. Not easy, but a little bit more easy. Before, no, because uh, nobody go there to see to see the kids play. So it was hard. You always an outfielder, siempre un jardinero. I was a pitcher, shortstop, third base, <laughs> center field, left. But always, I remember one coach told me that uh, I was pitching, and uh, I threw like five inning, eight strikeout, something like that. And he told me, Abby, I think your future is in the outfield. I'm like, bro, but what are you talking about? I just strike out eight people in, f- in five innings. And he's like, no, 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 but you don't have a chance pitching. You got it, you got it. I think you got to hit and play defense in the outfield. Yeah. He was right. Yeah, 100%. Who were your favorite players when you were little, when you were growing up? Who did you want to be like? Uh, Maglio, Ordonez. You know, he was famous at that time. You know, he was playing with, I don't remember who, but, you know, Terry Homers, I think with Chicago, I think. I don't, I don't remember. But I, I know it was Maglio and then Migi and then, you know, yeah. Did you ever meet Maglio? Yes. Last year he, in Detroit, when he was there the last year, I met him. And I met him, Migi, and all those players. It was great, yeah. I mean, like, I was playing minorly and then meet those guys, I'm like, wow. Dreams come true. Was it? Were you excited? What were your emotions when you met him for the first? Nervous, nervous, and uh, excited. You know, like. But it, it, I think it was great. I mean, it's, in this game, I, I, I threw a lot of beautiful moments, and all, of course, bad moments. Like life, it's, it's normal. You um, mentioned Miggy. Yeah. What did you learn from him then, that helps you now? Play hard every single game. No matter what the situation is, play hard. Uh, play with your heart and give everything between the lines. Never give up an bat. never give up an inning, never give up a play, never give up anything. So I think it helped me, helped me that a lot.
Are there things that, because he's so intelligent as a hitter, uh, what, what did you learn that you still, that you think about, oh, I remember something he taught me? Like, um, he always focused, you know, he, he, he don't pay attention to what other people say, he always focused on what he want to do, and one thing that impressed me, he's never get tired, he always same, like, you always see him with the same face. And that's why he hit, he had like 11 season or 12 season with Teddy Homer hitting 330. It's, it's great, it's special. So um, great teammate, great person. We're, I mean, we're, we're really good friends. So yeah. You excited whenever you play Detroit again next? I guess next month. Next month. Oh yeah, always, always, always. When I play against Detroit, against the White Sox, I mean all teammates. But you know, I gotta do my job. I got, I got. I got to have my team win, so now different. We mentioned family, friends, very important to you. When you're not playing baseball, what do you like to do? What do you to relax, to enjoy? I mean, uh, the most, spend time with my kids. Play play around my kids, take it to the park, take my baby to school, pick her up, go to gymnastic, and stay there for an hour to <laughs> see him practicing. And that's what I enjoy, man. I think that's that's a life about, you know. That's my life about. I, I think my kids, my wife, and my house. I think I like to be in my house. The only thing that I do when I'm in the off season, I like to go out eat with my wife and my kids, and then go back and normal normal person. You cook? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I make a good steak. Yeah, everybody that try my steak, they say it's really good. I mean, it's easy though. <laughs> and 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 your wife, she good cook or? Nope, <laughs> a little bit. She know how to make me uh, pasta with beef, like yeah. me, like meatball, something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it in English, but something like that, close to that. What's the one dish in Venezuela you miss the most here? Um, I don't, I don't mean. I mean, I miss a lot of things <laughs> like the cheese, the. Ice cream. Uh, I mean, I think a lot because they sell it here, but it's not the same. You know what I mean? Like, I like uh, the beaches in Venezuela. To go to the ocean is beautiful. You can eat, you know, fresh fish, and octopus, and lobster. I mean, great price too. So, <laughs> you ever fish? You like to fish or no? I like to fish, but. I never go out to fish, but I like to fish. You know, I can I can spend like two days fishing with, without no problem. I, I love it. It's relaxed for me. For you, what would be a good season? How would what's how would it end for you for the team? Make it the postseason and world championship for sure. I mean, I went to the playoff with the choice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I think that's that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to win. We're here to. To go to October and make the postseason and the second round and then the World Series. That's what we're here for. That's why we work so hard to to come here every single day and try to do our best because I think I think that's the most important winning for me. For me it's winning. Continued success. Thanks for a few minutes. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. That's Avi Garcia. We'll continue after this on the Race Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Race Baseball. And time to take a look at the week gone by and who to do it uh, better with than the man who can find full pizzas in the press box. That's Arrested Destrada. <laughs> oh, joins us from Cleveland. How are you, buddy? Don't think I didn't catch that. 
nah, listen, I tell you, man, it was a long day mm-hmm. with, the, with the rain delay, with uh, the supposed rain delay, Neely. I, I don't know exactly what all that was, but, you know, when you're sitting in Cleveland for three hours, uh, I think pizza is, you know, makes sense. So I figured I'd bring it to the boys, and one slice turned into uh, a whole pizza pie, and they were very, very happy. Yes, they were. And so were the Rays. I mean, I thought they were very pro in the way they handled things, dealing with a rain delay like that. I thought they played a very clean game, all things considered, and now in a great position today to win this series. I agree with you. You know, uh, having experienced those type of delays at times, not only in, you know personally, but as a team, you can kind of you're going to go either up or down. You're really not going to stay. Uh, you know, kind of in the middle. So it's going to affect you or it's going to, you know, kind of almost infuriate you. And I think our team decided to, to stay focused and, uh, and to stay true, knowing that if they had a guy in Charlie Morton who gives them, who always gives them five or six quality innings, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and uh, gives you a chance to win. So then you lead right into Sunday and trying to do what they, this team has been trying to do all season long, take series. And when you consider, I mean, who they're missing, they're missing Glass now, they're missing Wendell, they're missing Duffy, they're missing Yandy Diaz now, um, they're missing their catchers, and in a week where they're taking on the Dodgers, who are playing so well with the two tough lefties, and then Cleveland, if they can win four out of six and win today, I mean, that's a pretty big win and a pretty good week. Well, you know, Neil, I think you and I talked a lot about coming out of spring training. One of the strengths of this team really is the depth. They've shown to me that, you know, not necessarily that everybody's irre- you know, irreplaceable, but, man, it seems like at every position, you know, they've got the next man up, and it's a legit next man up. It's not just, hey, we're going to call a guy up or, you know. I mean, again, sans the craziness that you and I have never seen of having six catches before you're done with the mm-hmm. month of May. But other than that, and even then it's been, you know, a yeoman's job by the six guys. But I think uh, other than that, man, I think we're – very, very strong up the middle. Um, you know, outfield play, uh, even the hitting can be replaced at times. But there's no doubt. I can't wait for Joey Wendell to get back. I can't <laughs> wait for Yandy Diaz to get back. And even as Nino and then his power to get back in his defense. Yeah, it definitely would help a lot. But you talk about next man up and how big was the start by Ryan Yarbrough to open this series for Ooh. this team. But I mean, he looked like a different guy coming back from AAA Durham. Well, you know, you, you, you had the, the experience of knowing what Durham can do and make or break uh, a young pitcher, hitter, uh, but probably I think pitching-wise, psychologically, especially when they get sent down, mm-hmm. not so much when they get called up. And, uh, and I think he took it upon himself to fix the things that he needed to fix. I think there was some physical things. He was ill for a little while. I mean, you know, definitely sick, so he was a little weakened but also maybe mentally to fix some things. And all that I saw was in the three or four starts, he had 30 strikeouts and three walks. I mean, that's Ryan Yarbrough, and, uh, and he showed it. You know, So he ended up throwing a, just a majestic game and puts himself in position to start for a little while. And, uh, and I think it's deserving. And when you have all these games in a row or very few off days, you're going to need guys to occasionally give you Seven innings, six innings, seven innings plus, as Yarborough did. I mean, that's just kind of a fact of life. There may be times where you do it with a lead. There may be times with a deficit. But eating innings at times is going to be really important to this group. There's no doubt, including today's game. When you look at, you know, you got the poster child for, for you know, for not spot starting, but for opening, and Ryan Sanic. And then I'm looking at Jalen Beeks, you know, who should be shored up and ready to go and give you, hopefully, 
four or five innings. Man, let's say Jalen Beeks gives you four innings, five innings, and the bulk of that game. Then you go in with the hammers, and a Chaz Rowe, you know, hasn't pitched all that much. Maybe get Alvarado a little redemption song and uh, and close out this series. How, how important is it for for Jose? And was uh, to to you, what did you see with the mm-hmm. issues that he had in the game on uh, Friday night? I saw a bit of overthrowing, is what I saw, and and uh, I can you know compare it maybe to even to a Willie Adamas with overswinging. And, you know, the hitter's a little different than pitching, but not that much. Because psychologically, when you have that much power in your hands and in your arm, um, and you get in a pinch situation, whether it's a runner in scoring position or runner in scoring position and you're pitching, I think you can overthrow and try to amp it up and, and hit 101 or throw perfectly on the black instead of, like, letting the game come to you. The best of Willie that we've seen of El Nino has been when he puts that bat on his shoulder, relaxes and lets it go. I think the best of uh, Big Caddy, as I call him, Alvarado, is when he relaxes, you know, exhales, and just even if he comes down, you know, to 97, let's say, Neil, you know, so what? Mm-hmm. Spot it and, and then work off of that because I just see amping up. And there's no way with the control this guy has with the 98 to 99 mile an hour fastball that it should be bouncing eight feet in front of home plate. So, that's telling me that you're amping up a little too much. And his ball moves so much naturally that, I mean, guys are going to have a tough time squaring him up no matter what speed yeah, he's throwing at. In, in, the, in the location, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. No doubt. I agree with you 100%. G-Man Choi hitting a home run, a go-ahead homer yesterday. How big was that for him, and why do you think he's had some of the lack of RBI production and home run yeah. production that we maybe saw the last two months last year? I think his at-bats have been uh, at times – too timid in my book. I think they've been in a sense where, you know, he's looking for just the perfect pitch and uh, maybe quite the contrary of a, of a Willie Adamas who's, you know, sometimes a little too over-aggressive or a Kevin Kiermaier too over-aggressive. Uh, I like the walk. Don't get me wrong. You know how much mm-hmm. I'm a proponent of walk. But right now, I think, you know, he needs to let it go a little bit. And when you do, when you do get your pitch selection, don't, don't ease up on it. He's a big boy. You know, unleash, and I think we saw today that you know he unleashed over a 19-foot wall, opposite field. This kid's got power. And there's no question about that. And you know, again, we talk about resiliency with this group. The other thing that I also liked was uh, the ability by uh, Brandon Lau to bounce back because he had some kind of rough game on Friday, and then yesterday, Saturday, he comes through and, and comes up with a double to drive in the first run, a home run for insurance. He gets on base three times. I mean, that's pretty big for a young player to be able to handle that. I tell you, the, the main thing for that kid is selection. I mean, he is such a good baseball player. I mean, you don't realize how quick his hands are. The torque he generates from not a, for a very slim body, um, how good he plays defensively, how fast he is, like deceivingly fast, and how heads up he is. So uh, this is a kid that the biggest thing for him is a little bit of letting the game come to him in the sense offensively. Of he knows he has power, but his pitch selection at times is it's not very good. And and then he gets caught on that. And and they exploit that. My best his best at bat today, obviously the ones that you hit are the best at bat. But as a former player, as a former hitter, was the second at bat after the double where he it was a four pitch at bat, excuse me, five pitch at bat, 
with Carrasco, and he ended up walking on a 3-1 pitch, and he laid off those pitches that were borderline balls and strikes, but they were balls, Neil. And I said, okay, he's focused today, and he's picking and choosing. That next at bat, if he misses, if he misses he's going to hammer. And it's exactly, it's uncanny, you know, how that works out for the hitters. So sometimes when you just your pitch selection is proper, then you go to whaling, man. Well, hopefully that pitch selection is proper for he and the group today and the race can find a series win. Oh, thanks for a few minutes. Enjoy your last day in Cleveland. You got it, big Neil. Let's go over race. That is Arrestes Destrada of Fox Sports Sun. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Race Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and W237CW Pinellas Park. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and time to take a look at things on the minor league side. And the race have had a lot of players who've been successful this first uh, couple months of the year, and probably right near the top of the list is Jake Cronenworth of the Durham Bulls, who now joins us. Jake, uh, congratulations on a great start to the year, and thanks for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me, Neil. It's uh, been a fun season so far. I, I would guess it has to have been t- for you. And, and how gratifying has it been um, when you look back at where you were at this point a year ago and the unfortunate start that you had last season and the way you've bounced back this year? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's been a complete 180 from uh, last year. And uh, I think a lot of the work I put in the off season and in spring training is starting to pay off. And it's, it's always nice to see that. So for people who don't know, you was it 28 at-bats last year before you had your first hit, which is very unusual for you because you've always been a pretty good starter. What did, that, what did you learn about yourself during that stretch, and how do you think it actually has helped you this year in a positive way? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't actually get my first hit until I, I got moved up to AAA without a hit, and, uh, and so it was kind of crazy. But uh, going through a tough stretch like that, uh, you always have things that you can learn from. I know it's tough at the time to look on that situation and think, oh, how can I learn from this when I'm playing really bad? But, uh, you know, I think you learn how to handle adversity in a different way than you have before, and it's always good to have that in your back pocket for when it does come again because it, it, it will. How much did you change after the fact um, in terms of the off season, and, and how much do you think that's led to the start that you've had this year? I made some changes uh, in the middle of the season last year, around July, middle of July, and I think that had a lot to do with you know helping me turn the season around last year. And then I took a lot of that what I had learned during the season into the off season, uh, made some minor swing changes, uh, switched bats, and just worked with uh, one of our hitting coaches here, Dan Dement, on more like my approach at the plate, and you know being a little more aggressive in certain situations and knowing when to pick those spots. So bat-wise, are you using a, you said you switch bats, lighter bat, heavier bat, different model? What's the change? Uh, yeah, it's a completely different bat. I was using a 33-30 before, so a really small bat. And then I switched to a 33.5, 31.5 axe handle. And I can say that, that that was probably one of the biggest differences and changes that I made that ended up working. What did you notice? What's the biggest difference in, uh, in, in the way you've been able to produce? It's just comfortable. I think at the time when I had switched, I just needed to change something. And I don't think I was ready to change something at the plate with uh, my approach and my swing. And I, I felt that changing a bat might just shake things up and hmm. you know somehow make a change. And it, and it ended up working. And then 
just doing a lot of research on what the bat uh, helps you do at the plate uh, with axe with the axe handles uh, help a lot. And from a swing mechanic standpoint, um, most fans obviously don't get to see you on a regular basis. So describe for listeners what are the the changes you've made in terms of your setup or your swing or where your hands are, things of that nature. Uh, yeah, so I used to be a uh, little more spread out, lower in my stance, uh, higher hands, and this year I'm uh, almost straight up, uh, close feet, about shoulder width apart, lower hands, and a uh, bit of a leg kick. And so I think working through that in the off season, and I was doing it at the end of the year last year uh, for about a month, and it seemed to work, and I, I felt comfortable at the plate with it, so I stuck with it. And obviously it has worked out tremendously well. Has it helped also that you've had Brady Williams, who you had for most of the year last season in A Montgomery as your manager there, um, to move up with you here in AAA? Uh, yeah, it's, it's always nice to have familiar faces around the clubhouse, especially in the managerial position. And I think, you know, being familiar with him and how he uh, operates day-to-day uh, is always nice. And as, and as well with Dan DeMent, I had him in Montgomery in 2017. And then at the end of the year last year, so it's it's always nice to have familiar faces. Now the the other change um, for AAA baseball, and again you played some in AAA last year, but this is your first full season there. Is they're using Major League Baseballs, and I asked Mike Brasso this as well. How big a change is it, and does it give a hitter more confidence? Uh, the fact that the ball's carrying better that that you you know it, it's certainly a I guess a negative for the pitcher. I mean team ERAs I think are on average about five in the league. Right, uh, and I, th- I think you, you hit it an nail on the head. Uh, I think it is a big change. Guys are, you can tell hitters are definitely much more comfortable in the box, and I think much more comfortable to uh, make more aggressive uh, swings in certain situations than last year maybe they wouldn't be. And you're definitely seeing balls driven more. Uh, those, those balls that go off the wall are now five rows deep, and <laughs> the, the one hoppers on the warning track are homers as well. So. Uh, it's definitely a big change. You have you haven't through that change your swing though. I mean, you got more walks than strikeouts uh, heading into this weekend. Is it hard not to uh, when you see what the results have been? Uh, definitely. I think sometimes you want to take those chances, but I think it's picking the right spots and to when to take those chances is uh, when you need to do that. And you know, I think just going up with a good approach every time and just trying to get a good pitch to hit. I think the results will take care of themselves. You know, speaking of, of changes, you know, I think you and I have talked about it a little bit um, in the past. I mean, you were a two-way player at Michigan. You, you were drafted as a position player by the Rays, and obviously they now have Brendan McKay, who's going to go up and join you guys and, and, and uh, be in, in Durham with you, uh, and Tanner Dodson, who was drafted last year. And very recently, you made your first appearance on the mound in about four years. So tell me what, what the whole conversation was like, and were you reluctant at all to go back to pitching, having had that much time away from it? You know, we started talking about it in spring training a little bit. And at the time, I guess I was a little reluctant to make the switch because of all the work I had put in the offseason and how confident I was going into spring training and this year. And So at the time, you know, I really didn't know what decision I wanted to make. And then I felt that, you know, once the season came around, I was uh, I felt like it was a good time to make a decision, and I felt comfortable doing that. And, you know, we had gone over a lot of scenarios of, you know, oh, I'm going to throw one inning a week or whatever it may be. And I felt like, you know, this would be a great time to do it. So I made the decision. And I've been throwing bullpens and live BPs all year. And then 
had my first uh, appearance last Saturday, which is awesome. That's exciting. Were you surprised at your velocity? Because I would think, I mean, look, guys all, all probably talk about, hey, if I get a chance to pitch. But, I mean, you topped out at 96, which is pretty impressive for a guy who hadn't pitched in a real game in four years. Yeah, I think I think it surprised myself and some others, uh, definitely. But, I, yeah, I don't think I expected to throw that hard. I thought I was going to be right around where I was when I was in college and, you know, be comfortable with that. But seeing that up on the board, I guess – Gave me a lot of confidence coming into my next appearance. Were you any more sore than you normally have been when you're doing infield work? And and what was it, or was it? Did it feel like normal pitching soreness since you hadn't done it in so so long? Uh, yeah, you know, you always expect some soreness when you pitch, but we've done a great job here working with uh, Rick Knapp and and the staff here on building my arm up throughout the season. I think it was it was a month and a half almost before I threw on the mound. So, you know, we had throwing bullpens and live VPs, which helped a lot, and he had a good program set up. How has that adjusted your overall routine? Because it sounds like you're going to do this, what, maybe once a week, 20, 20 or so innings for the year? It's not like they're they're making this a full focus on pitching. Your still focus is infield and, and your offensive game. Right, and and I, I've told people this that have asked me about it before, that you know I'm an infielder and hitter first and a pitcher second. So you know my focus is obviously on hitting, and infield first, and obviously, you know, I have to take some uh, some sense into throws on the infield, so I'm saving my arm for when I pitch and stuff like that. So it's just having that, that good balance between when I need to make my throws, when I don't, when I need to save my arm a little bit, and just so also I'm ready for the game to play shortstop or third or wherever I'm at in the field that day. And obviously you know how the Rays obviously enjoy and, and uh, appreciate versatility. How much of that went into your decision to try this? Because if you can do both, um, and even if it's you know, 20, 30 innings a year, to be a guy who's left-handed hitting-wise and, and can also come off the mound and can play three different spots and can be a high on base guy, I mean, that's pretty valuable. Yeah, you know, I think that was definitely a, a big piece. And... Maybe with another team, and it might not be the right situation, but with the Rays, I think it is because they're obviously very open-minded about that and very supportive, which has been great through this whole process. And I think it, it you know, hopefully it plays out good. Well, I think we're certainly hoping that. I would think mentally it's got to help both sides. I mean, you're pretty aware of what hitters are trying to do when you pitch, and you're probably pretty aware of what pitchers are trying to do when you hit, correct? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll say I've definitely started thinking more like a pitcher lately which has been a little different, but uh, it, it's good. You know, it gives me a different different aspect of hitting and talking to the pitchers and, you know, how they attack guys and what they want to do in certain counts and, you know, even giving information back to them. You know, this is I'm thinking with, you know, two strikes and a uh, guy on second base or while I'm at the plate and helping them out too. Well, certainly it can be a help to the group, but uh, more so I'm hoping it's a big help to you and it allows you to get to the big leagues that much sooner. Um, we certainly wish you a lot of success in both areas and continued success, especially at the plate. And we appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. Yeah, thanks, Neil. It was great having me. And that is Durham's Jake Cronenworth, who for the year, a 370 average, 1,003 OPS, and likely to make his second appearance in the coming days on the mound. Coming up on this week in race baseball, Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers on his return to St. Petersburg, and Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com and MLB Network. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Neil Solon's with you. This is This Week in Race Baseball. This week, Andrew Friedman returned to St. Petersburg for the series between the Rays and Dodgers, just the second time he's done so since leaving Tampa Bay. And I asked Andrew, what was different this time from 2016? 
2016 was definitely weird. Um, you know, I was kind of on autopilot to just take a left and walk in the home clubhouse and uh, you know, I had to consciously think about where I was going and what I was doing. And I think this time I feel a lot more relaxed and it's great to be able to catch up with people and uh, it feels a little bit more natural now. Who are you still close to? Matt, Eric, Heim, is that kind of the core of it? Yeah, and Brian All and a lot of guys. I mean, there's a lot of people here who I remain really close to, close with their families, just a lot of really special relationships and people who are really close to me. What memories flow back when you're here? Um, it's always great to look out at the banners hanging up and, you know, just what we were collectively able to accomplish is something that will always be incredibly special to me. You know, just the memories of, you know, just talking to a few of the Dodgers players about game 162 in 2011. Kike Hernandez was saying that he was here as a fan uh, watching that game. And, uh, yeah, just so many incredible memories here and, you know, things that I'll always remember for the rest of my life. What do you miss most about this organization? Because things are so different, obviously, with a large market club like Los Angeles. I mean, so much of the satisfaction that I get and the job that I do is the people that I work with. And, you know, just that camaraderie and the sacrifice that we're all making and the amount of time it takes and energy that goes into to what we do and just that camaraderie, that those relationships are everything for me. And it just takes a while. You know, with the Dodgers, I feel like we've got a really good group who we work really well together. But with the Rays, was here for so long and those relationships – you know, we grew so much professionally, personally. Like, as I was here, we were all getting married and having kids. And, you know, that is just something that I think is really unique in this sport and is something that, you know, I cherish and, um, you know, is something I really miss. It's just the people that I develop such a close relationship with. From a baseball side, what things can you not do there that you could do here? And maybe vice versa, obviously. Yeah, um, you know, I think, you know, just kind of taking a big picture view of this is, you know, the Red Sox and Yankees started to adopt some of our philosophies that obviously made it tougher. And we liked when they just tried to beat us over the head with their wallet uh, and not try to outthink us as well. And so it's trying to incorporate, you know, that balance with the Dodgers of not being afraid to lead with our wallet, but also not being afraid to innovate and to think creatively. And I think each market has its own unique challenges, and it's important to kind of work within those constraints and try to, you know, optimize as best you can. And so I don't know if it's so much like specifically one thing you can do one place and not the other. I think it's about understanding and appreciating, you know, the challenges uh, that each market faces and then just try to operate within it. How closely do you follow what's going on with them since you're in another league? Uh, very closely. I think it helps that their games start for the most part at four o'clock, uh, West coast time. And so I'm able to catch up and do some stuff in my office and have it on in the background. So still feel very close to Dwayne and, and Brian by watching, uh, games. And, you know, again, there's a lot of people who I'm really close with and I wish them, Nothing but uh, the, the most success possible uh, outside of these four games that we're going to play against them. Is, is it nice that you actually do get to make the visit here? Or were you kind of, I mean, I know you said it's different, but were you happy that it actually was on the schedule? Yeah, very much so. I think, you know, I was able last night to go over and 
uh, see some friends and see their kids and, you know, some people bought new houses and see those. And uh, so, no, I was very much looking forward to it. In terms of the Dodgers, I know you went to one World Series here. You've now been to it back-to-back years. Does it become harder with each passing year? I know how badly the ring means to you. I think each year is kind of a its own unique animal. Um, you know what they say, the fourth time's the charm. Um, but, uh, you know, each year has its own challenges and, you know, joys that come from it. And, you know, I think each year it's so hard. It's so hard to win your division. It's so hard to win your divi- the division series. It's so hard to win the LCS. It's so hard to win the World Series. And, you know, I'm extremely motivated Uh, and consumed by doing all we can to win a World Series. You know, when we chatted a lot in Tampa Bay, and there was one interview you did where you talked about being all-consuming, how difficult that was, and if there was a point where you might get drained, it doesn't sound like you've lost any of that drive at this point. Yeah, I don't think I have much to my wife's chagrin. Um, (laughs) uh, It's definitely all-consuming, and, you know, just that competitive spirit, you know, burns... Uh, pretty strong and it's something that I always fear that our competitors are doing something better or they're seizing an opportunity that we're not and so it is kind of a compulsive behavior and probably not great for me long term but I think serves me well in my job and what I'm doing today. Of course you still have a lot of guys with the Rays who or a lot of guys who have connections to the Rays now in your organization you still have uh, Jerry, you have got Brandon Gomes and Joel Peralta, and a lot of other ex-players have kind of come through. Is there anyone that you kind of anticipated? Hey, he's got a future career in the front office, or maybe also on the other end, surprised you that they wanted to go that end? You know, I think just having uh, good relationships with players and creating an environment where they feel comfortable and they can perform to the best of their ability allows for, you know, those conversations to take place and to understand a little bit about what makes different guys tick. And I think through those relationships, as careers start to wind down, those conversations happen. Uh, You know, Peralta and Gomes were two of my favorites in terms of the type of teammates they were, how well they competed, just their mindset and how they went about things. And, you know, I've been around a lot of players who I have a lot of respect for, and you know, really value that perspective in what we do. You still carry the rubber ball around, and do you have fun? That kind of fun still? Yeah, I think I've matured a tiny bit, um, <laughs> but yeah, still carry it around a decent amount, and just keep guys on their toes. Well, we look forward to seeing you in September. Hopefully, at that point, we're talking about both teams heading to a postseason. I hope so as well. Thanks. As the Dodgers' Andrew Friedman, great to catch up with him this week. Of course, today the Rays wrap up a series with the Indians and next week take on a team that's taking the majors by storm in the Twins. And who better discuss the AL Central than Anthony Castrovins of MLB Network and MLB.com. Anthony, thanks for a few minutes. No problem, Neil. Thanks for having me. You know, a lot of people felt that Minnesota had a chance in the division this year. But how surprised are you at the gap between the Twins and the Indians as we approach Memorial Day? I am surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing. Obviously, the Indians have had their issues from an injury standpoint, you know, losing Corey Kluber, losing Mike Clevenger. But even if you had told me that going into the season, I wouldn't know that the gap would be this large just because a lot has to go right for the Twins, and a lot has gone right. I give them a lot of credit. You know, I, I like their approach to the offseason where they added a lot of power to that lineup, so I, I suspected they'd be a power-hitting bunch. I don't know that I knew that they would uh, be on pace for a record number of home runs, but... Uh, still, there's a lot of power in that lineup, clearly, but 
where they're really a revelation is in the pitching staff, you know, in the starting staff. Martin Perez really couldn't get anybody out last year in Texas, and now he's number two starter for the Twins. Jake Odorizzi has had a, a strong year for them, so um, and that's behind Jose Barrios, who's uh, you know we all knew could be a breakout type, but you know the depth they've gotten beyond him has really been a surprise. Is it more surprising that they are where they are playing between 650 and 700 ball or that Cleveland is this close to 500? Honestly, with the way things have unfolded, I'm surprised Cleveland is over 500. You know, I, I think that's the biggest surprise to me watching them day in and day out because they, they don't have much offense at all. So to be over 500 is, is a pretty amazing thing. Now some of that, you know, they, they've taken advantage of the schedule where it's been favorable to them. Um, they struggled against the better teams, and we've seen that uh, in the last week or so. But the bullpen was a kind of a big question mark coming into the year. That's been that's been solid, it's really good relative to kind of what's going on in the rest of the league. And, and again, the, the big hits they've taken from the pitching standpoint and, and scoring just north of three runs per game. I mean, to be over 500 is a real blessing for them. But they're in the thick of their schedule now. You know, they've got this weekend uh, these last couple of games against the Rays. They got the Yankees coming up. They got the Red Sox this week. These next couple of weeks are, are going to be really interesting. And, and on the flip side of that, I think I read that the Twins have, it's probably in the neighborhood of 40 games left against teams with winning records. I mean, can they be stopped yeah. based on the schedule they have? Well, you, you'd expect some regression to the mean just, uh, as I said, the, the pitching's been really good, and, and can that maintain, you know? But yeah, the, the, the schedule's going to be difficult. they got a lot of games against the Indians, quite frankly. So mm-hmm. if the Indians are healthier for those games, if they have... I don't know if they'll have a Kluber. It depends, you know, maybe late in the year. Um, but they'll have Mike Clevenger back in action fairly soon. So, yeah, those, those two teams have barely seen each other. They got one series in Minneapolis, so that's it. The Twins haven't even been to Cleveland yet. So, yeah, a lot still potentially lies ahead in the Central if there is some regression from the Twins and if the Indians can just, you know, generate any kind of offense uh, while getting healthier on the starting standpoint. On that end, what's happened to Jose Ramirez? I mean, you're closer to it yeah. than I am. How surprised are you at this? And and is this just a two-month bad stretch? And all of a sudden when he, it hits into a gear, it's going to be like a snap of the fingers? I mean, he's been a player of such extremes because everything he did to become the MVP caliber player he was for three years in a row there, that was all a surprise. I mean, this guy was supposed to be a role player. He was Francisco Lindor's backup in the minor leagues. And, you know, you just figured he'd be a guy who kind of plugs into multiple spots in the infield and and uh, is just a role player. But, you know, he seized an opportunity when Michael Brantley was hurt early in 2016. They put him out in left field, and he played his way in the everyday lineup, but he's been a, a stud. He was a stud every day since uh, until middle of last year, uh, last couple months of last year. So now it's a surprise that he's become what, he's, what he is really for more than half a season at this point. Last year, it was really easy to accuse him of getting home run happy. He was chasing 40 home runs. I think that showed in his play. I don't know how much he, he screwed himself up mechanically as a result, and if that's carried over, but it's been pretty jarring in terms of the difference in bat speed and uh, you know the results, obviously. So I don't know if he can ever get back to the level he was at, but, but even just to be a, a league average contributor would, would help this club a lot right now because they're really scrambling for runs. They do benefit from their schedule, and what I mean by that is, I mean, you've got three teams that are rebuilding in Kansas City, Chicago, and Detroit. Of those three, which one is the closest, and how far away are they from actually contending in this division? You know, I would think the White Sox are closest. It's been a slow rebuild for them, frankly. Uh, You know, a lot of things that that they expected to happen really haven't panned out as planned, but they have had some good signs this year. Obviously, Tim Anderson got off to such a great start for them, and Lucas Giolito had a fantastic start against Houston the other night, so that's you know that's a good sign for them moving forward. Uh, Yohan Mankata has been more of the offensive 
distributor. They expected uh, Eloy Jimenez. You know, we, we expect him to be a, a stud in that lineup before long. So, um, so I'd probably say the White Sox. But uh, you know, rebuilds are tough. They're tricky to predict. The, the the Royals have an interesting lineup. You know, the top half of their lineup is, is starting to become interesting again. Uh, but they're probably still a long ways away from having the total package. And, and the Tigers, same thing. You know, Casey Mize, their number one pick from last year, he's been fantastic. He's moved mm-hmm. up to Double A already. But you know. You, going to take more than just one guy in the rotation so yeah i'd say the white Sox are closest and and on the other side you know in cleveland's case you can argue um that their window may be closing a little bit what types of things may they do as this season wears on to try and extend their window as long as possible yeah well i think we saw the beginnings of that last winter you know they they have a budget they have to operate on and you know you know that in tampa bay as well as anybody mm-hmm. and you have to get creative and, and they try to get creative they try to get some younger pieces and you know they made like a, a jan gomes trade that was pretty controversial but it, it's been kind of a blessing for them because they got jeffrey rodriguez out of that he's really pitched in here uh you know with some injuries in the rotation so yeah they, they needed some younger bodies some younger blood it's not really coming together as they hoped uh this particular season and the injuries have played a part in that but in the long frame i mean the, the window could have you know how it is as the roster gets older and more expensive they can slam shut in a hurry so they're trying to be nimble with it and you know that could mean to answer your question that, that could mean a trevor bauer trade mid-season even if they're in contention that could mean a Trevor Bauer trade because uh, he's a year plus away from free agency. He's made it very clear he intends to test the free agent waters. Uh, his price tag is rising in arbitration, and uh, you know maybe there's a way to uh, rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, get some other interesting young pieces and move a Trevor Bauer. So it's going to get fascinating because you know it's the hardest thing to do is rebuild and contend at the same time. But uh, we've seen examples of it uh, recently in the big leagues and. It's just hard in a smaller market to, to maintain the kind of success they had from 2016 to 2018. Minnesota, not quite the same budget, but you look at their ball club, and obviously a lot of things have gone right. You hit on the pitching category. I look at their depth, though. They have not had any injuries to their starting rotation. I mean, you yeah. don't know that Martin Perez or Michael Pineda, et cetera, can go a full season. And their AAA ball club, from what I've heard, doesn't have a whole lot of pieces on it. So what are their biggest needs going forward and and – uh, as, as they look to contend not only in the division but uh, in the American League. Yeah, I mean, the American League has obviously got some elite ball clubs, uh, and I, I would put Tampa Bay in that category. So, yeah, it's one thing to get there. It's another thing to advance. And I really think the Twins are a strong candidate to make a midseason move and um, on a couple of fronts because, one, if you look at their rotation, and, and, yeah, as you just hinted at, they haven't had injury and they could have regression moving forward. And they've got several guys who are nearing free agency, Pineda, Odorizzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it could make sense for them to go out and get somebody who helps them not just this year, but is controllable beyond. And they've got the pieces in their farm system, maybe not at the top level, but overall depth in their farm system to, to make an interesting trade. And, you know, I, I've kind of floated the idea of a Marcus Stroman, for instance, uh, from Toronto, who's, you know, potential to be dealt this year and will be controllable uh, next year as well. So, yeah, that, they're, that's where maybe their strongest as it relates to the Indians is that overall flexibility. They could probably, they're probably in a better position. Uh, to make a trade, and they're probably in a better position to take on some money uh, midseason. You know, the Twins had the most money uh, come off of their payroll after 2018, the most of any team in baseball, and they didn't go out and get crazy in free agency. You know, they signed Nelson Cruz to that one-year $14 million deal, and, and they made some other moves, but it, it wasn't, you know, and they had some arbitration cases as well, but they're still below where they were payroll-wise a year ago. So I, I think there's still some opportunity for them to take on some cash, and, and sometimes that's a difference maker the trade market. And from your end, is it all need on the pitching side? I would say so. I mean, you never know what needs can develop, but they're, you know, they're obviously deepest 
on the position player side right now. So, yeah, that would be my, my hunch, is be it in the, the rotation or the bullpen or perhaps both. Um, and they've been floated as a Craig Kimbrell uh, possible landing spot. You know, we're all expecting that to come down after the draft, a Craig Kimbrell signing, a Dallas Keuchel signing. Uh, the, the Twins could be a factor for, for either of those guys, really, because, uh, as I said, the financial flexibility is there. And then once the draft pick compensation is no longer tied to either one, you know, you expect one of you expect them to sign hopefully relatively soon. Yeah, I was going to ask: Are you expecting that within 24 hours after that deadline passes, that both will have signed somewhere? I hope so. I don't know if it'll be quite that quick, but I sure hope so. I hope enough legwork has been done, enough conversations have been had that it could be a fairly quick process. And we all we all know the issue there with, with the draft pick compensation, and even though it's not what it once was not as prominent a pick as it once was a first round pick it's still uh, the draft pool money that's attached to it is valuable to clubs so they're waiting for the draft to pass so that's no longer an issue and yeah i, I would hope it would be fairly quick for both those guys because they've you know they both overplayed their hand in the winter mm-hmm. no doubt about it but it's definitely uh even with that mistake taken into account it's, it's played out plenty long for both of those guys anthony castrovin's good stuff we appreciate some time this week on this week in Rays baseball thank you dale thanks for having me that is Anthony Castrovince, again, of MLB.com and MLB Network, and we certainly appreciate his time and that of all of our guests on This Week in Race Baseball today, including race outfielder Avisael Garcia, Arrestus Destrada of Fox Sports Sun, Durham now two-way player Jay Cronenworth, who's having a fantastic year, and, of course, Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers. Anytime you want to hear something on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Reminding you, you can bring out the family on Saturday, June 1st when the race hosts the Twins at 110. All fans receive a Tommy fan bobblehead courtesy of Dex Imaging while supplies last. For more information, go to racebaseball.com. Raise up. Next week, we will preview the 2019 draft and much, much more. Special thanks to my producer, Derek DeBose. Neil Solon saying stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Race Baseball Network.